0: Hey, I'm Daberdang of Austin and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. And no one is here to tell me otherwise. Thanks for joining me for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. If you want to learn everything I know about Spidey, why not subscribe to the show starting back with the first season? You can enjoy the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or your podcast player of choice. I'd love to have you along for the journey through Spidey's past, present, and future. Just head on over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com for all the details about where to subscribe. With the holiday season rapidly approaching, I thought it'd be fun to talk to creators who have released books all about the world of Spider-Man, which would make great gifts whether for yourself or your loved ones. So today, I'm sitting down with Matt Singer, the editor-in-chief of ScreenCrush.com and author of the brand new book, Marvel's Spider-Man, from Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. Just to note, I was provided a review copy of the book from Insight Comics, but I was thrilled to have Matt Singer on the show. I've been a fan of his work for nearly a decade, both as a podcast host and as a film critic. So I hope you consider checking out his book and that you enjoy our conversation. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends. The kind of guy I go to, other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. Well, welcome back, listeners. I am joined today by Matt Singer. Matt, you are the author of Marvel's Spider-Man From Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. First of all, did I get the title right?
1: I think so. It's a pretty long title, so it's easy to to, to, to get it wrong. But I think, yeah, I think you nailed it.
0: None of these books are ever succinct on the title. <laughs> it's, it's always some belabored thing to hit whatever keywords that need to be hit. Did you have any say over that particular titling?
1: I demanded that the word Spider-Man be in the title, which they graciously agreed to. But other than that, yeah, this was the publisher determined the title. And at different points, it was a slightly different title. I'm not entirely sure how we wound up where we did. But I mean, you you get it. I mean, it is a, it is an art collection. So the definitive comic art collection makes sense. I'm not exactly sure where the... From amazing to spectacular came from. To be honest with you, I don't know who suggested that. And and some people who are you know people who are really really into Spider Man when they hear that they go. So is there no web of Spider Man in there? Is there no sensational? <laughs> and I have to be like, no. Every you know everything as as much as we could fit in there is in there. It's not just it does. If you're a really intense fan, it does kind of sound like it's like the the art collection of maybe the first fifteen or twenty years or so. But it it covers. Pretty much everything up until uh, like the end of last year, the beginning of this year, twenty nineteen.
0: The words adjective list don't really work well in the title, right? Exactly. You know, speaking of the history of the character, I guess I'm curious to get started. You know, I I followed you for a number of years, and you write a lot of articles about Spider-Man. But like, what's your history with the character? Like, what set him aside for you when you were you were a kid? Like, this focus on like that guy because like I know when I first started reading it. I didn't understand the kind of full breadth of the character that he was like a nerd and all this stuff. So despite my own nerdiness, that wasn't necessarily the appeal. So I guess I'm curious, was it, was, was it that for you? Or what are your first memories of this guy?
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because, yeah, like I would certainly describe myself as kind of a nerdy guy. Uh, certainly a Peter Parker-esque figure without the you know the powers and the bite and the dead uncle and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, my love of the character dates back, you know, to way before I could have been quantified as a nerd, before I knew what a nerd was, before I could even, you know, like read. I mean, I loved the character, The you know, the, my parents talk about me being obsessed with the character when I saw him on The Electra Company, this old TV show, which was kind of a... It's not on anymore, but it was sort of a sister show to the, to Sesame Street, you know, back in the day. Uh, it was, I think, made by the same company. It certainly was a PBS show either way, and they would kind of air together. And I watched a lot of Sesame Street, but I also watched a lot of Electric Company. And Spider-Man was like a recurring character. He would have his own segments. And if you've never seen them, they're kind of fascinating. You can – some of them are on YouTube if you just, you know – YouTube and search Spider Man Electric Company. You'll you'll get them Spider Man never like talks out loud. He talks in these visible word balloons because he's kind of it's supposed to be encouraging children to read. And maybe coincidentally, maybe not. I was actually a very early reader. He uh, he was kind of there to teach you about reading. And you know, none of the actual villains were on it. The the, the bad guys were very tame. The adventures were very tame. But I don't know. There was something about the character even then. I think maybe the costume, you know, he has this incredible costume that really speaks to to children. I know with my own little little kids, my older daughter in particular, who's not that old. She's only about four now, like – she loves the the you know the costume. She loves Spider Man just from that. You know she we we actually have started reading a Spider Man comics every night, which is a really cool. It's really cool for me. We like read a different comic every night on a, on our tablet on the the Marvel Unlimited app. In fact, we've been reading some really fun ones lately, actually, because you know I'm, I haven't read a ton of the you know all ages comics because they're, you know, a more recent thing. Not something I've really read for myself all that much, but I really like reading them with, with my daughter. We're having a lot of fun with it.
0: So you're not starting with like Ditko stuff? Not
1: really. No, it's, we've, we've, we've looked at the book certainly, and there's a lot of it in there, but when it's, you know, like I kind of let her pick and, you know, there's a lot of words in the Stanley and Steve Ditko ones. You know, it's not a lot of big, bold pictures, you know, the way that, a lot of comics worked back then. It was a lot of, you know, nine nine panel grids and six panel grids and a lot of words crammed in there. And, you know, as wonderful as Steve Ditko's art can be, it, it, it can also be a little, you know, like it's sort of a, a boxier style of art. Sometimes, especially in the early issues, you know, the, the visually it's just not quite as dynamic as it would become. And so it's just, and also like everyone's dressed for. From her perspective, everyone's dressed weird. Everyone's like wearing sweater vests and suits, and and Peter's kind of a jerk too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we 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 kind of we we stick to more of like the Marvel Adventures books, and the various incarnations of that. The last couple of nights we've been reading this book that's called Marvel Adventures Superheroes, which has at least the issues we've read so far. It's like Spider Man, Iron Man, and the Hulk as like a trio and there's not really an explanation what like there's no like status quo or explanation for how these characters have wound up hanging out together but they're actually really funny the one we read tonight they were at an outer space and they were like doing extreme sports with rock aliens like meteor aliens meteor men and there was like a scene where they were doing karaoke and my daughter loves karaoke the one time she did it at a wedding she thought it was the greatest thing ever so like I don't know. They're very. They're very. They. They seem to really understand. Uh, kind of kooky kid logic. They're really fun. I think the issue we read tonight was written by Paul Tobin. It's really really fun. Definitely, if 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 grownups with little kids are looking for Spider Man comics to read with their little ones, that's a, that's a good one I can recommend. We've been enjoying it. We I about an hour ago we just we just read that one I was describing and she was laughing out loud at some of it. So.
0: Yeah. S- sounds like some of the crazy Marvel team up stories that I was
1: used to when I was a kid. Absolutely. It definitely has like a kind of a Marvel team up vibe. Definitely. It, it's just there's very little Peter Parker in it at all. It's not they don't they're not worried about, like, explaining how the characters got together. They're just kind of hanging out. You know, kids don't care. They don't care how it's just, you know, oh, it's fun when the Hulk says something goofy and and uh, Spider-Man makes a joke. And yeah, it's 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 great for her her kind of age. It's perfect.
0: So you got into the character through the electric company, you're doing the hard work of getting your daughter into comics, maybe, maybe not so hard. This book is all about comics. So like, where, where did you enter into the world of Spider-Man in comics?
1: Well, I never really, I mean once I found him, I was sort of always a fan and you know, would get comics here or there. My dad was a comic book reader himself when he was a kid. He's he was uh, born in the 50s, so he was kind of the perfect age for when Marvel really, you know, like the Silver Age was like his wheelhouse. And you know, he remembers getting Fantastic Four number 1 and Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man number 1 and he had he had a lot of those. Uh, Until my grandmother, rest her soul, threw them all away or most of them away. (laughs) The couple that he's he managed to salvage and save, I have now, which is really cool. And in fact, there are a couple of Spider-Mans that he gave me, including Amazing Spider-Man number five. Oh, nice. A Very beat up copy of Amazing Spider-Man number five with Dr. Doom. Right. The acid on the cover. Yes. And the other one I'm going to have to look up. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's I actually put it in the in the book almost as a little Easter egg to my dad because it's an issue that I really love. And he gave it to me and it's I'm looking it up right now. I can tell you the cover is Spider-Man swinging over this protest.
0: Oh, the crisis on campus one.
1: Cripes is on campus exactly. Yeah, that's the uh, caption. I'm not sure if it's 67 or 69. Maybe it's 67. Whichever one it is that says Crisis on Campus and it, Oh, it's 68. I was I I was over I overshot it and undershot it. Amazing Spider-Man number 68. You can it there is a copy of the cover of the Amazing uh John Romita cover in the book. That's for whatever reason that was one he had and saved and so he pass that one down to me and I've always loved that issue uh, partly nostalgically so that one is in the book as well
0: it even found its way into the Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game
1: is there is there a crisis is there a crisis on campus homage i played the game but i don't remember it
0: they like it's very quick but they recreate the cover of it and blast it on screen for like a half second it's it's fun
1: oh that's awesome i didn't notice that i was i was playing it when my i have two daughters and one of them was a newborn so some of it i don't remember all too well cuz i was playing it sort of in a haze of I would have an hour here or there and I would, instead of sleeping, I would play Spider-Man. So he gave me, anyway, my dad gave me the ones he had and and I would read those and sometimes I would get copies like we would go to, you know, if I went with my mom to the grocery store, they would have a spinner rack. Maybe I would get a comic here or there. The, the period that really hooked me was the 30th anniversary issues which came out in 1962, which each had the holographic covers or hologram covers, whatever they were. And I you know I I people have asked me this question so I've said this answer but I you know now that I think about it I don't think I realized until just now like I was a big fan of the Marvel trading cards around that time.
0: That's how I got into it, too. The kind of
1: Fleer Ultra and stuff. Right, exactly. And the first set had these, like, they had, like, these hologram, like, the the rare hologram cards. And they looked just like these covers. And now that I think about it, that was probably what made it so appealing to me was that they looked like those cards. But in any event, my dad, who, you know, was a fan, he was like, hey, they're doing special issues For the 30th anniversary of Spider-Man, let's go get them. So we went to the – we didn't have a comic book store in my area at that time. We had this amazing video store called Easy Video that had a huge comic book section, bigger than some actual comic book stores that I have shopped in, ironically. And um, they had Amazing Spider-Man 365, which was the – the thirtieth anniversary issue for that book, with uh, a David McColini and Mark Bagley story with the lizard, which they—I think, I'm pretty sure—became the like basically the, the premise of the first episode of the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Very good story, nothing mind blowing, but for some reason, I loved that issue. I loved the art, uh, and I read it over and over, and I was just—and uh, and obviously that holographic cover was incredibly awesome. Too bad you couldn't print that in your book. Yeah, the hologram, uh, you know what, I really wanted to, but it just didn't look, you know, the hologram just doesn't, it just doesn't read. So there's plenty of Mark Bagley artwork in the book, obviously, but yeah, I couldn't sneak that one in there. I And then I had basically every issue of Amazing Spider-Man after that for, for years and years. I, I I still certainly read every issue on the that Marvel Unlimited app. I, I haven't bought the physical issues in a while, just because I, I do here and there, but I it's, it's just too expensive and too hard to get to the store every week with two kids, so... Don't go. Don't don't get the physical copies quite as much as I I used to or would like. But still reading. But yeah, that was that period of Spider Man was the Spider Man era that kind of hooked me as a obsessive reader, and I pretty much haven't stopped at least reading. From, that's 1992. So that's 27 ish years of pretty, pretty careful, obsessive reading.
0: Yeah. My first one was 375. So I was right behind you. Shifting from like our histories, I guess, with this character and stuff, I want to talk about your book. Obviously, that's what you're here for. We discussed the very long title of the book, but like, what would you, how would you summarize what this book is for? Our listeners, like, what are they getting if they go to pick this thing up?
1: Well, what they're going to get is, you know, it is basically like a coffee table book. It's very big. That's the number one comment I get from people after they buy it is that they did not, whoa, I did not expect it to be this big because it is really big. It's oversized. (laughs) You know, it's like, One of the cool things about it is it's way bigger than like an ordinary comic book size. So, you know, you get kind of these beautiful kind of reproductions of the artwork that are even bigger than they were printed originally. So you can really kind of pour over the the artwork and there is quite a bit in it as the title suggests. And then it's, you know, it's kind of the history of the character. There's a little bit of, because, you know, kind of criticism is sort of my day job and my love. So there's, you know, criticism, not in the sense of like, oh, this is bad. This is stinky. I don't like this, but more of the kind of, you know, and, you know, kind of interpretation, analysis, extrapolation, you know, like kind of drawing connections and looking at the character in a macro sense and trying to understand sort of why he resonates and what it is about the character that makes him so popular and also why certain storylines are so resonant and why they kind of make sense for the character. And yeah, there's plenty of history of the making of the character as well. I interviewed, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how many creators of Spider-Man, but quite a few, well over a a dozen. I talked to Jerry Conway and Tom DeFalco, Brian Michael Bendis, Dan Slott, Danny Fingeroff, Roger Stern, Alex Ross. It's been a while since I talked to these people. David McLinney, who I already mentioned I talked to, and tried to cram as much of uh, of 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 their interviews into the book as I could. J.M. Demattis, who actually also did the foreword for the book. I spoke to him as well. So, yeah, there's uh, there's interviews, lots of artwork, great overview of the character, You know, I tried to uh, mix it, you know, both the stuff that you have to have in there because that's like the essential famous stuff and also some of the less famous stuff that's just really good that you maybe you want to turn people on to if they haven't read it or maybe remind them if they've read it but forgot about it. Did my best to kind of, you know, the way I looked at it was, you know, right around the time we were talking about when I was a kid, uh, as a teenager and really getting into the comics there, I would my like for my birthday every year, I would get like one of those big history of comics books, like Marvel by Les Daniels or the Marvel universe by, I think it was by like Peter Sanderson. There was a lot of them and I would get like one a year and I would spend like all year, like reading it and looking at it. And then I'd get a new one and then I'd spend that year looking at that one. And back then there really wasn't one like that for Spider-Man, just, just Spider-Man. Obviously there was Spider-Man stuff in those books, but I, wanted, I always wanted one just for Spider-Man. And so, like, in my mind, what I set out to do is kind of make the version of one of those books about Spider-Man. Like, the one that I always wanted as a teenager that I never quite had. So... That's sort of the 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 hole in your bookshelf this book kind of would would fill. Is if you like those kind of books, if you love Spider-Man, I feel like that's kind of the the niche I was trying to trying to hit, the sweet spot I was looking for is to try to be that book in your collection.
0: I don't want to get into the like how's and the whys that this book happened because like it's a lot of kind of behind the curtain stuff, but I I'm, I'm very thankful that you were given the opportunity to do this because it is so a reflection of like someone who loves the comics. And, and, and so I, I guess I'm curious from you is, you know, there's so much. Spider Man is such a transmedia property now. You know, it's, it's covering everything from, I guess, like juice drinks to cereal and back again. Was it tempting for your publisher and I guess you to try to include? Like things like the movies and the cartoons that arguably have a larger audience than the comics?
1: That would That's probably a good question for the publisher. I have a feeling some of it is has to do with rights because, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of months, the movie rights to Spider-Man are so complicated and they're, you know, the, the character is owned by Disney, but the movie rights are owned by Sony. So perhaps there is some reason that um, the publisher, which is Inside Editions, you know, isn't even allowed to throw the the movies in there. Uh, that said if anyone wanted to make that the sequel book which is just about Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man cartoons, Spider-Man games, Spider-Man Pop-Tarts, all of it, you know, I would I would I would be happy to write that book too because I love all of that stuff as well. But yeah, it, and you'd have to eat all the Pop-Tarts. Which I I would I love Spider-Man Pop-Tarts. They're delicious. I I think they're an underrated <laughs> Pop-Tart and I'm always excited when they bring them back because they have Spidey be- Spidey berry filling which is A very real (laughs) fruit that's quite delicious. I was happy that it was just the comics because I do love the comics and there is more than enough to cover in a book. I mean, I could have made a book twice as big, twice as long, twice as in-depth as the book you got. The people, you know, some people ask, like, what was the hardest thing about writing this book? And by far, it was just writing the book you see when I could have easily written twice as much. Cutting things out was was in, just a, a brutal process because how do you cut things out? There's so much amazing, no pun intended, amazing Spider-Man to include. And I only had about 190 to 200 pages in there. So when that's all you have to cover 57-ish years of Spider-Man comics, that's not easy. So to me... It does. This book did not need the movies or the games or anything else, as much as I love those things, because just the Spider Man comics are wonderful enough on their own. They deserve their own book, they deserve multiple books. Uh, so I was happy to get to just cover them.
0: That's one of the beautiful things about reading this book is seeing you kind of have to condense stories. Like, explaining the hobgoblin in a page or explaining the co- clone saga in a page when I know that you could very well probably do like another 20 pages on who is the hobgoblin etc you're just you know I-, I loved reading this and getting to the sentences that were like yeah the hobgoblin they didn't really solve who that was and then they did the hobgoblin returns years later and it's like boy there is like you know, endless minutiae that could go in there. But y- you do such a great job of succinctly wrapping it all up. Like, I would feel comfortable handing this book to my wife, say, and letting her understand a little bit more about how this all fits together without having to kind of push up my glasses nerdery of me explaining it to her.
1: Yeah, it, it should be. Hopefully, if I did my job, it should be clear to people who maybe let's say who you know, are most familiar with like the movies and are interested in kind of dipping their toe into the into the world of the comics. Like if you have someone in your life who you kind of want to try to get hooked on the comics, I feel like this would be a pretty good gateway drug, so to speak, to the wider world of it. You know, like you could kind of hand them this and say, you know, like, you know, it's it's a big book, but it wouldn't take you that long to read the whole thing, really would give you a pretty good overview. It might give you some places to go to like, oh, this this particular, you know, like, oh, this. Ultimate Spider-Man, that looked pretty interesting. You know, there's like a whole chapter on Ultimate Spider-Man. Maybe I should start with that. Or, oh, I really liked um, you know, these um these Stanley John Romita ones, they look so beautiful. I I wanna read some of those. Do you have some of those I could borrow? I think that would be a, you know, that'd be a pretty good use of the book if if there's somebody in your life that that sounds like that you feel like, you know, you catch them looking at your comics or asking questions about Spider-Man and and you're you want to indoctrinate them in the, the most uh, pleasant and fun way possible. That, that definitely, the book would definitely uh, do that. But you're right. It's not easy to talk about the hobgoblin in a book like this because all the different red herrings and identities and uh, retcons and all of that, it's, you know, it's basically it. Uh, it's basically impossible. And, and and it's and you also have to keep in mind that by the time the book comes out, there might be a new hobgoblin, you know, or two different hobgoblins, or five hobgoblins. That was something I also had in my mind is you didn't want to be too definitive about anything, because who knows, you know, like uh when I started reading comics really obsessively, Norman Osborne was dead, and he'd been dead for for decades, but now he's been alive for decades. Or maybe he's dead again. Who knows even? So you gotta you you try to you try to take the long view of it. You try to put these characters and and stories kind of into the look into the overall kind of arc of Spider-Man and like what characters and what concepts have stood the test of time and which ones were important in their era but maybe haven't quite had the same resonance as others. You know, that's it's again, that was part of the challenge of the book was how do you get all of this stuff into one book? Well, that was that was one way I sort of approached it.
0: But, Matt, this is a definitive guide. Come on, yeah. man.
1: Well, it def- as definitive as it can be, yes, yes.
0: You said the book is very big, and that's true. I will back that up. The, but the book is really beautifully assembled Like there's a great kind of textured cover on the book And beautiful inside covers and stuff But uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about was the, the cover to the book It's got this beautifully painted piece by Andrew Robinson Like can you tell us about this? Did you have input on the creation of this Piece of art?
1: I did not uh, but they would sort of keep me in the loop. I would be sort of the dork who was constantly emailing, like, have we gotten it? Have is it in yet? You know, because when I when we first started working on it with the publisher, they had somebody else, and I honestly don't know what happened, but it didn't work out. And then they said, Well, we're now we're working with Andrew Robinson, who I love from Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. I love his cover, so I was like, Oh my god, this is amazing. I can't wait. This is the perfect person. And, and it did honestly take a little while. Like I, I I remember I kept waiting and waiting to hear, and I would try not to bother the editor and, and say, have
0: we gotten the cover? Have we gotten the cover?
1: And then I remember she sent me the first like sketch you know, that I guess was sent along or the approved sketch maybe. Because I, I I did one signing for the book with Andrew at New York Comic-Con and we talked a little bit about the creation of it. And he did go through a couple of versions. They kind of laid out that they wanted, you know, what you'll see on the cover. You know, they wanted a a, a kind of a tableau with a lot of the cast. I guess he said at one point that they had told him or he was, there was maybe some confusion about like different characters to include. So he had to do different versions. But then the version that he did, that's the, the final cover that you see I remember when I got the the sketch they sent me the editor was nice enough to send me the sketch for you know and just say like you know what do you think I was like oh man this is amazing and I I absolutely love the the cover I obviously I am a little biased here but I think it's really the perfect the perfect artwork for the book when I saw uh, Andrew at the convention when I did the signing with him He was selling the original artwork and the actual painting of it was so even more gorgeous in person. And I wished I could have afforded to buy it. (laughs) I did get a print of it and had him sign it. And that's uh, actually hanging in my house now. So that's that's one of the coolest things about writing this book is is having in any way been associated with that piece of artwork. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Just I mean. It's it's pretty great.
0: It's also a big deal to have someone like J.M. Day Mateus do an introduction to your book. Can you talk about how that came together and why you chose him of all people to be the guy that introduced your book?
1: Well, we the editor and I had talked about a couple of different people, but I, when I did my interview with him, he was like, I don't know if he was the most enthusiastic because actually, everyone I spoke to was so great. I, I the, the 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 creators that I spoke to were so generous with their time and you know. Uh, I feel like Spider-Man is, you know, like the character himself, you know, what we haven't really talked about him that much, but, you know, like one of the things that I love about him is that Spider-Man is like a mensch, you know, like he's the ultimate good guy, you know, and you do, when you talk to a lot of the people that made him, you like, you see where his, his values and his kind of like his morality comes from because all the people that created him are, are mensches too. Like, they're just great guys. They're great men and women to talk to and they're so generous and They have this really kind of, I don't know, they're just really giving of themselves. And, you know, and I would just say what I was doing. They'd be like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's talk. So and and uh, JM was like particularly like like just generous and forthcoming and had these great answers for everything and. Would give me more than I asked him for, and so it was just like maybe maybe he'd be the right person to do the forward, and and that was it. He did it, and he did a he did a fabulous job, and yeah, another kind of pinch me moment for a Spider Man dork is to like write a book with him doing the forward, and you know the cover. It's it's pretty pretty awesome all around, really. I mean, don't tell the publisher I said this, but I would have done this for free. So <laughs> the fact that I did get uh, paid a little bit to do it was pretty was pretty, pretty good. J.M.
0: was one of the first guests we ever had on the show. So, like, it, he's always been very uh, generous to us. And I was pleased to see him, you know, doing this intro for you, which is very well written and and very kind, I, I felt.
1: Yeah, he's awesome.
0: You know, the book itself, like you mentioned earlier, is broken into chapters that kind of separate out the history of Spider-Man. Like you said, it, it was hard to kind of limit it down. Is there an era of... Spider-Man comics in particular that you feel like, oh, boy, if I could kind of really dive into that era a bit more, I I wish I could have.
1: God, it's hard to pick one because it, I could have, I, I, like I said, I could have written, you know, twice as long a book with each chapter being twice as long as it is you know, I I do kind of wish I could have gotten to do another, I mean, I'm ready to write like the update about, you know, kind of what's been going on lately a little bit. I mean, I'm a little behind because I'm mostly reading on the Marvel Unlimited app. So I'm a few months behind, but you know, I kind of, I kind of cut things off with the end of Dan Slott's run, which is a really kind of perfect place to end things just because I don't know, his run feels so classical in a lot of ways with certainly plenty of, you know, uh, interesting uh, surprises and twists like uh, Superior Spider-Man and all of that stuff. But the way it ends is kind of a very nice capper for a book like mine when it ends with, like, Amazing Spider-Man 801 is such a beautiful kind of love letter to Spider-Man. That's a really nice place to end a book that's also a love letter to Spider-Man. You know, there's a little kind of conclusion of the book and the last image of that issue is, the, is one of the last issues in the book. There's that and there's a really lovely steve ditko panel that's like the one of the you know a lot of steve ditko's early issues especially end with a very similar issue of like peter parker walking off into the distance alone sadly or kind of contemplative with like spider-man's image kind of looming over him and so that's that's on the end of the book too but yeah all the stuff that uh, like nick spencer's been doing and the friendly neighborhood spider-man book i love i think is fantastic I would love to have gotten to throw those in there. And some of the stuff that's happened uh, to to Peter and Mary Jane feels like it would, you know, it already feels a little bit like the books already starting to get out of date, which breaks my heart. Oh, God, uh, you know, that I can't kind of. You know, there's no appendix or, uh, you know, like uh, edition or postscript or something. Maybe I should just write that on my own and put it online. I feel like I kind of need to do that. Uh, Just talking about it is making me uh, like itchy and uncomfortable that there's there's new stuff covered.
0: Right. He's going to he's going to undo one more day and you're not going to be able to have it in your book.
1: I know it's going to be brutal. The other I guess the other thing would be, you know, there's a chapter kind of the last full chapter in the book is about it's it's like a spider verse chapter. And it does deal with the Spider-Verse comics, but it also has kind of a, a, a rundown of all the different Spider-Verse characters or Spider-Man offshoot characters. So anyone who's kind of got spidery powers and it starts way back with Spider-Woman, the Jessica Drew Spider-Woman. And I tried to include as many characters as I could. You know, a lot of those characters, d- I, I you know, for sure could merit and even deserve a lot more time. I gave Spider Gwen a uh, a sidebar. You know, Miles certainly has a lot of uh, real estate in that chapter, but that chapter could be three or four times as long just getting into all the different characters. There's some like Spider Man 2099 I loved as a kid, and he's certainly in there. But um, you know, I could have written more about him. Spider Ham is in there, uh, which I love, but you know, there's a lot. There's a lot going. There's a lot going on in the whole Spider Verse. Spider geddon that whole kind of world is getting bigger and bigger all the time. I, I crammed as much as I could in, but you know, again, like Spider Geddon is another thing that was kind of it had kind of just started as I had to finish the book, so I couldn't couldn't really include it. Characters like Spider man <laughs> and Spider's Man. I love every kind of every weird character in those books I, I adore. I think they're so creative and clever and funny. And I would I would happily put every single one in in the book if I could.
0: So these interviews that you did, you know, they they really span like every chapter, like checks in with nearly everybody that you interviewed, which is really impressive. So, like, I'm curious how you kind of conducted these interviews so that you like knew you could get all these different topics. Did you did you kind of like shotgun it? You know, you're like, I'm going to spray everywhere with each person and see what I can get.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was mostly a matter of putting together the dream list of who I would want to talk to and, you know, like the the list, you know, and like consulting with the editor and with Marvel, who, you know, kind of had the final say on the finished book and everything and just trying to get as many of them to talk as I could. And there were certainly some that it just didn't work out. And, you know, some that I had, you know, like uh, just couldn't quite make it into the book, but did my best to get as many people as I could. And yeah, as many e- uh, eras uh, of Spider-Man creators as I could as well. You know, Stan Lee passed away just before I got the job, which is a bummer because, man, if you know, you wouldn't wouldn't that have been cool? I did get to interview him once years and years ago when I was working for IFC. I interviewed him at E3, the video game convention. He was there hyping I think it was Ultimate Alliance or one of the Ultimate Alliance games. And for whatever reason, he was there, you know, just doing a public appearance and signing autographs. And, you know, he obviously he was, he was not exactly uh, up on the game itself, really. But, you know, he was Stan Lee. It was fantastic. He, you know, he was just in character and he was so funny. And it was great that I got to do it. Yeah, I would have loved to have, you know, talked to him for the book but that was not meant to be. But uh, I, I, you know, like you said, there's a, there's a very nice range, you know, so there's, there's, there's people, you know, there's interviews in every single chapter, pretty much multiple interviews in a lot of chapters, sometimes people giving their different interpretations of uh, what was happening at the time, but that's part of the, that's part of the fun. But yeah, it's, it was definitely a shotgun approach. I think is probably a good way to describe it. Uh, it was as, as as far and wide as I could cast my net as possible. And pretty much everyone who i spoke to is in the book in some shape or form i mean i would have loved to some of these interviews were 2 and 3 hours long i would have loved to have you know i was sitting there going god i wish i had a way to use all of this i would have <laughs> you know wanted to like just put transcripts in the book if i could have cuz they were there was so much good stuff but uh that was an, again just cutting things out was the biggest challenge and heartbreaker.
0: Well, I really enjoyed the information that we got out of Alex Ross in your book, you know, cause he doesn't really do a lot of interviews. And I thought that the kind of tidbits that he gave you on the original design of Spider-Man's costume and how he was updating it, I thought was really fascinating.
1: Yeah, that was really cool. I Yeah, I, I was able to get in touch with him. You know, I, th- I, I don't have a ton of artists in the book, which I, you know, I, for whatever reason, the artists are harder to track down. They are, bu- or maybe they're just busier because they're all drawing all the time and they don't have time to talk to a, a yokel like me, which I totally understand. If you're going to talk to one person about sort of the, the, you know, the, the Spider-Man, like, kind of the design. I mean, he's a great guy to talk to because... you and, and you could tell when you talk to him, too. Like, he's really thought about it. It's not just like, oh, it's a cool costume. It's really attractive. Like, he can explain to you why, you know, from a design perspective. And I don't want to just kind of tell you what he said because that's kind of part of the fun of reading the book. But, like, he can explain, like, why... Children do connect with this character and why, you know, the Ditko original design still works and what makes it special. And it has to do with proportions and the shape of the face and the shape of the eyes and the, 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 you know, the different ways that the, 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 the different care, the, the colors in the costume, you know, kind of play off of each other. And then he talked about the redesign that he did for the end of the dance Slott run. He can talk, you know, he talked about, because I actually thought his version of the costume was really cool. I really liked that kind of update. So we talked about, yeah, how he approached des- redesigning it. And he, and he said, like, you can't, you know, it's like, you know, it's like trying to improve the Mona Lisa or whatever. Like you're not going to, he didn't want to change it too much. It wasn't a radical uh, reinvention. But I actually even told him how much I loved the costume in that Spider-Man game. I even mentioned that, that I was like really excited to see it in the game. And it was, I know when I was playing the game, that was one of my kind of go-to costumes. I would change the costumes all the time because that was one of the cool things about that game. But the the Alex Ross Spider-Man costume was one of my my go-tos that I spent a lot of the game in because it looked so cool. I actually think it almost looked cooler in the game than it did in a lot of the comics because in the comics, a lot of the times, you know, it kind of uh, – when he, on his covers, they really nailed the kind of like metallic sheen. Like he knew what, exactly what he was going for and certainly when you're doing like a painting – and you know like one a month it's probably easier to get the detail and really capture the texture of it but sometimes in the in in the interior as cool as it looked it also kind of looked like a like a spandex costume with like a glowy light on the chest but in the game it really looked like a like armor it really looked like it had like, like kind of meta- like the metallic kind of quality to it which really made it look really really cool I
0: was never a huge fan of it in the comics but you're right I played with it constantly in the game it
1: was like a, it looked awesome in the game it looked so cool
0: it was more like Iron Man than the Iron Spider suit was in a weird way yes Yeah. yes it was so one of the interesting things about reading an overview summary of Spider-Man's comic history like you've written is that you kind of start to spot trends in the storytelling. One that you've highlighted the most here is the desire for creators to reboot the character of Spider-Man, to get him back to his origins and what made him popular. I could ask you a ton of questions about this subject, but I guess I'm curious, in your opinion, do you think this kind of backwards looking desire is something that the character will ever escape? And do you think that this kind of quest by these writers and editors to revert the character has hurt him in the long term
1: i don't know that i see it so much now but i mean well it's interesting it's this is a complicated answer because right when i was starting to read and i guess you were starting to read too like that was the number one almost like publishing directive it seems was spider-man has gotten too old he's too mature he doesn't reflect our audience which is ironic because the audience for comics has gotten older and older and older we need to figure out a way to make him seem younger and from like 1990 on uh, for a long time it was like every single thing that happened to spider-man in a macro again a macro sense not every individual issue but like the kind of impetus behind a lot of the events and the new kind of when a new creative team would come on or a new publishing initiative would happen it was always about how do we how do we simplify how do we bring him back to his roots how do we make this more accessible how do we get back to the core of the character even something as as absurdly and convolutedly complicated as the clone saga like grew out of an idea of We need to simplify Spider-Man, which is so ironic because the Clone Saga is maybe the most convoluted and and ridiculous storyline ever. As as much as I like parts of it, like it became so incredibly just bogged down in continuity and minutiae and these characters and decades of stories. But the idea when you boil it down was, could we maybe replace Spider-Man with a younger single version of Spider-Man? Like, can we get rid of Peter Parker And can we replace him with Ben Riley, at least in the short term, who's a single guy, who's not married, who doesn't have all these responsibilities, who's maybe not quite as morose or depressed as Spider-Man was? Like, because I don't know that people remember, if they're not reading those books, how kind of sullen Spider-Man had gotten by that point. He was like more spider than man. Like, that was kind of the shtick that they were doing for a while. That was like, right when you started reading, like, the parents, these... They brought back the parents, and they killed off the parents. They weren't real parents. They were—I don't know exactly what they were. They were— Androids. Androids. new androids. But they were created <laughs> by the chameleon, but they were also created by the Green Goblin or whatever. So, as you might expect—and it's, it's very fair. If, if, if your parents came back, your long-lost parents came back, and then they were androids, you might be pretty depressed, too, after that. But, you know, Spider-Man was like—you know, Peter was, like, really depressed about that. And so— like, the solution was Ben Riley, uh, but obviously that became more of a problem, or it created—the solution created more problems than it solved, really. You name it, and uh, that was an attempt to, to uh, yeah, de-age the character or find a way back to the roots of the character. Ultimate Spider-Man is another perfect example. Brand New Day was another example. It, and you're right, it just keeps happening over and over. Is it a good for the character or bad for the character? I, I don't know. I think what's probably best for the character is to not repeat oneself, which I guess if in a way you, you're when you're returning the character to his roots, you are kind of repeating yourself. I think I sort of enjoy I guess what you have to do is when you're reading these comics is you kind of have to you have to look at it as a cyclical thing. Spider-Man always does kind of return to his roots. He also has these wild, you know, uh, digressions and these weird, interesting variations. You know, it's Dr. Octopus takes over his body for a year or two. So the Spider-Verse happens. Ben Reilly happens, you know. So and then invariably, everything kind of goes back to normal-ish. There are things that change. Characters grow. They evolve. And the, the the good stuff kind of sticks around and the, the bad stuff kind of goes away. You know, like that's kind of the way it works. So to me, I think it's 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 fun to see the classic version of the character. I enjoy the classic version of the character, and I enjoy in 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 certain doses when the character does kind of go back to a classical version of the character, but I also really love when when writers get to see how elastic the character can be. And if anything the last couple of years have shown me just how how elastic the concept is and how, how fun it can be to see the character do different things. Like I loved, I really loved the Doc Ock Superior Spider-Man run, actually. I thought that was really fun. And I loved when Peter Parker came back and he was like Tony Stark for a while and he was running his own company. I thought that was really fun. And then I loved when he kind of went back to being you know, the guy who works at the Daily Bugle or is, you know, trying to figure out where he belongs in the world. I I do sort of love seeing all the different variations. And I think maybe that is the healthiest thing for the character is to just constantly evolve. Sometimes maybe to evolve in a way that reminds us of, of the old, good old days, but always sprinkling in some new wrinkles, new characters, new... You know, new villains, new variations should never be, you know, exactly how it was. But there's nothing wrong with with uh, maybe, you know, reminding us of the classics now and then.
0: That's what I found so curious about reading your book over the past few days. Is just like this this kind of repetition on this theme, because like even in the past couple of years, we've seen. Spider-Man, I think, kind of grow a little bit older, right? We've got Into the Spider-Verse, where we saw an older version of him. The character in the comic has become a legacy character, right? Miles can kind of be the young guy now. And in the comics, they have brought Mary Jane back as his girlfriend, and they're starting to lean into the One More Day stuff with this kindred villain. And I I almost wonder if, you know, we're, we seem to be swinging the other way. Like, you know, is have we finally broken this spell and... Miles Morales was the solution and Spider-Man can finally start to be like a little bit older. I just feel like reading your book highlighted that for me and I, and I thought it was really interesting.
1: There are so many different Spider-Man family characters, for lack of a better term, that you're right. There is kind of a, a Spider-Man or woman or girl or ham for any reader. And you're right. With younger characters like like Miles, you can let Peter Parker be a little bit older, And again, like I was saying before, like the I think the average I don't know the average age of a Marvel reader, but I would guess it's probably closer to the dad bod Spidey of Into the Spider-Verse than it is the uh, 16 year old uh, geek from Amazing Fantasy number 15 or whatever. You know, I think for sure there is a place for an older Spider-Man character, an older Peter Parker. I enjoyed the Renew Your Vows Series, kind of for that that reason, you know, like I, when I was growing up, uh when I was reading those um, those '90s comics that were really hooking me, Peter Parker and Mary Jane were married, and it didn't seem weird to me. I mean, you know, people talk about, well, why is Peter Parker married? Why he's, you know, he's the you know consummate kind of single guy, the loser, the this that the other, and I don't know. It didn't it didn't bother me. I liked it. I liked reading about. I liked. The idea, you know, because Spider-Man at that age to me was a very aspirational character. So the idea that you could grow up and the geek could be the guy that, um, you know, found this wonderful relationship that that was appealing to me. So I I think, uh, you know, I've always liked Peter and Mary Jane, and I love the idea of. Them having a daughter who is a superhero as well. I mean, when you have daughters, it's a very appealing idea, I suppose. But um, you know, I've read a little of that book with my daughter too, and we we definitely enjoy that that concept as well. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we have maybe we have broken that cycle a little bit. I guess that's the kind of thing that only that only time time will tell because these things do have a way of seeming like they're headed in one direction and they are for a year or two and then invariably things things change again.
0: So the book's title advertises it as the definitive guide to the art. So I guess I really quickly to talk about the art, like you said, I, the thing that was really exciting for me was seeing this book is almost like a treasury edition for like every comic you've ever loved in the Spider-Man run. I have to imagine like, I don't know what the, kind of business deal here is, but I imagine it cost a fair deal to kind of get all of these images and and print them as such. Were, were there limitations and, and goals for you in particular in regards to the artwork you included?
1: The book is published by Inside Editions. It's not published by Marvel, but it's sort of licensed from Marvel. So, and and the goal was always, it's going to be an art book and, a you know, part art, part history. So, there wasn't it wasn't really like a matter of we can only afford x y or z it was more of we only have this many pages and how many great pieces of artwork can we fit in here the way that the art was kind of done was as i was doing the research for the book which was just reading and rereading hundreds of, of books i would just keep lots of notes on on stuff that i loved stuff that you know again kind of like what i was saying earlier it's like the stuff that has to be in there you know like you know, uh, like lifting the uh, the the giant uh, debris off of his back in the in the the classic Stanley Steve Ditko, you know, uh, saving at May kind of stuff, and then just trying to find some interesting, you know, things that aren't maybe as famous or as iconic, but are really um, fun or beautiful or unique or whatever it might be. The editor and I pretty much we each kind of made our own lists. And then kind of combine them and said, well, you know, like, well, we need this. We need this. We definitely need this. We need more of this. We don't have enough of this person. We want more of this person. And and that was really it. And just, again, trying to get as wide a range as we could, you know, in terms of the eras, we, you know, the eras was and the the, the periods in the book, the chapters was the first thing I did was the outline. So then you outline, you know, each chapter and also the stories you're hoping to cover in there. And you also have to keep that in mind. So if I'm writing about the clone saga, I've got to make sure I have every, you know, I've got to make sure I've got the artwork that reflects what I'm writing. You know, in the Spider-Verse chapter, if I'm talking about Spider-Man 2099, well, I got to make sure I've got a great, you know, a great representative image or two of him. Or Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen or Spider-Girl or the other Spider-Girl or the other Spider-Girl or whoever whoever <laughs> it might be. You know, that's the other thing, too, is like logistically, like, do I have enough images of Dr. Octopus? Do I have enough images of the Sinister Six? Do I have enough images of Hobgoblin? Do I have enough Green Goblin? Do I have enough, you know, do I have any of this person? Like, oh, my gosh, do I have this? You know, all those sorts of things. It's it, it again, it's a lot of. Research and then, you know, like space management and making sure you do your best to get as much of a variety of artists and and characters in there.
0: You mentioned that you put in Amazing Spider-Man 68 as like kind of like a nod to your father. Are there any other images in the book that you're like especially proud of including?
1: Mm, yeah, I told you, man. That one, that that one's. I, I, I think I maybe told one or two other people in interviews. But yeah, that the Amazing Spider-Man 68 was definitely like my my Easter egg to my to myself uh, or to my dad. I mean, it's a great piece. It's an amazing cover, but it's definitely one that I have a lot of nostalgic feelings towards. I'm trying to think. I mean, I tried not to do that too much. I tried to really let the artwork speak for itself and to pick ones that I thought were particularly you know appropriate for whatever we were doing
0: i love that you included for example the the buckingham image from the mets game like that like oh, yes. that to me was like that one's personal you know as someone who used to live in new york for a while like that always takes me back to like living in new york and uh, and i thought that was a special inclusion
1: I guess that's true. Perhaps a Mets fan would not include an issue of Peter Parker and uh, Uncle Ben going to a Mets game and learning life lessons through the tragedy of being a Mets fan. <laughs> You're right. That that I have to be honest and say that someone who was not a Mets fan, as I am, might not include that in their Spider-Man book. But that is a great issue. I really love the the Paul Jenkins and uh, Buckingham run of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, or I guess it started there and maybe it went to uh, Spectacular Spider-Man at one point. It might have had a few different titles, that book. I always love that run. It's so kind of low-key and really based in the characters. You're right. I did throw that in there. Uncle Ben has some wonderful speeches in that issue about basically about why losing is okay. And if you're a Mets fan, you learn that losing is okay. And Spider-Man is a guy who has learned To live with loss. You know, that's part of what makes him Spider-Man is that he does sometimes lose. He doesn't always save everyone. And so the way that Paul Jenkins found a way to kind of mesh those philosophies felt very, uh, it felt not only realistic, but it just very touching, uh, very, very plausible for that character that they would be Mets fans. Plus, they live in Queens. I mean, come on. It only makes sense. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I cannot lie. You're right. That was one that I threw in there, perhaps out of uh, a personal affection. But I think it, it fits. It works.
0: I mean, I, I pointed it out only because I love that run, too, so much. And it's so overlooked. And yes. as one of the best runs of Spider-Man. And so seeing then that I was like, good, someone's actually acknowledging, you know, the, the amazing work that those two did together. So speaking of kind of overlooked things, I kind of asked you coming on here today if you like had any comics that you felt like you wanted to champion, like maybe overlooked classics that like straight out of the brain of Matt Singer like something that you really enjoy that you feel like people should go check out. You know, I guess I, I I'm curious uh you know drum roll, let's do your list. Do you have
1: some for us? Sure. I mean actually that I mean that era I think is a great era to kind of champion. And it really dovetails nicely with what we were talking about in terms of of Peter Parker kind of, you know, this, the, the urge to make him younger. And I feel like that era, not just the, the, the Jenkins, Spider-Man, but also the, what Straczynski was doing an amazing Spider-Man at the same time. Like that's one of the few periods where they actually let Peter Parker feel a little older and they didn't try to make him younger. I guess they just realized, well, we have, some amazing writers and uh, artists. Why don't we let like the fact that they're going to make amazing comics, like be the selling point. And uh, it was those books sold pretty well for a long time to me. Like I reread and you know, hundreds and hundreds of Spider-Man books. I really enjoyed rereading a lot of them. Some were as good as I remembered some were better than I remembered. And I really thought this period, as much as I enjoyed reading it at the time, I thought it was even better than I remembered. You know, I did not remember that the, when the Straczynski run starts, Peter and Mary Jane are separated, like like an actual marital separation. And that stuff is like really mature. They're like the way that their relationship is written is really beautiful. And I love all the stuff. That's the period where Aunt May finds out that he is Spider-Man, that Peter is Spider-Man. And they have that issue long conversation. I'm a sucker for any Spider-Man comic where two characters just sit in a room and talk the whole time. I I love that. I love the ultimate Spider-Man where Peter tells Mary Jane he's Spider-Man. That's another favorite of mine. I think that in that era... Obviously, by the end of it, it got a little more. It got bigger. You know, there were storylines. There was, you know, a lot of there was. There were some big storylines with villains, and and honestly, some of those were the weakest parts of that era. But when you had those guys, Jenkins and and Buckingham and Straczynski and and mostly uh, Ramita Junior, like all like kind of just doing like really good like small scale like character stuff and and growing the characters and their relationships. I loved rereading those books, and I think they hold up really well, and it's kind of a timeless era of, of Spider-Man, actually. And, and like, the the, the supporting casts are, are tiny. It's really just Peter and Aunt May and, and Mary Jane for a lot of it. And I guess Uncle Ben is kind of the ghost hanging over the the Jenkins run because he's, he's discussed or he's in a lot of those books and flashbacks and and, 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 and scenes like that. But it's it's really kind of nice too to like have this really you know it's like a, it's like a pure distilled Spider Man in a sense because there's not too much of the the Daily Bugle and, and Empire State University and all those those people who are great I love the sporting cast too but it's kind of awesome to have this really intense like almost like Spider Man melodrama going on in those in those books so that would probably be one that I would would highlight for sure as like. I honestly don't know whether – I have no idea. And these things change. I don't know whether those books are considered masterpieces or or not at this point. I really don't know. I know they ended on a way that left a lot of people with kind of a, a, a sour taste in their mouth. So I, I honestly don't know whether they're beloved or not. But if you haven't read those in a while, that was a situation where, like, I had a very tight turnaround on this book and I did not have time to read everything and I didn't have time to read stuff that wasn't going to wind up in the book or, you know, sometimes I would get enough that I would be like, OK, I can move on. I can I can write about this. And I just found myself I kept reading more and more of those books because I they were just so fun. I didn't want to stop. So that would be my my first pick for sure.
0: We did a whole episode on the doomed affairs issue where it's like Peter and Mary Jane reuniting at the airport and, and how much we love that issue, even though Dr. Doom seems like a weird add on. But yeah there's that you mentioned that issue and the then the conversation with Aunt May like those are just incredible melodramatic pieces you're absolutely right
1: yeah they're wonderful so that would be one and then I think another one that I would I would definitely pick out and it has a little sidebar in the book because I love it so much and those those sidebars that are in the book were kind of things that I I basically begged my editor to let me do basically because I had So much stuff to cover, like I've said, like one one way that I found to cram more stuff in was like, well, let me do some sidebars where I just kind of talk for a page or two outside of the main kind of narrative and history I'm writing about something. And so that was how I snuck in some extra stuff that I loved. And one of the things that has a sidebar in the book is Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which is a book that I really love. And again, another example of them trying to find a way to make Spider-Man younger again but they did it in a way that I thought was really clever and unique in that it was an attempt not to erase things that had happened or undo things that had happened, but to add on to what already existed. So the idea was, and I'm sure most of your listeners know Untold Tales of Spider-Man, but like it was this book that also was really special at the time because it was 99 cents when most comics were probably by that point, they were probably two two bucks, maybe $1.50 if you were lucky, but mostly two bucks. And it was ninety nine cents an issue, which for a kid at the time was amazing because you could actually afford more comics for ninety nine cents. I can't
0: imagine them doing that today. Like it, it, it just seems, seems hard.
1: I know it's very hard to imagine when, especially <laughs> now that comics are like the cheap comics are like four dollars, which is you know it was very expensive. So you know, just imagine. I guess the equivalent would be like just imagine if there was a monthly book coming out now that was like two bucks a month. It it's like unheard of, but. That's how this book was. Just a fabulous book. It was basically set in between the original issues of the Lee and Ditko run. And it was imagining like sort of these extra adventures that we had never seen before. You know, like the title says it all. was The Untold Tales of Spider-Man. And it was Kurt Puzik and and Pat Olive was the artist. And I just loved that book. I think the whole thing is really, really fun. They would introduce new – they had some new villains – They would do, you know, classic villains um, sprinkled in. There's a really awesome annual that I put the cover by Mike Allred is in the book. It's like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. And I think it's like Spider-Man and the Invisible Woman go on a date. And it's very awkward and uncomfortable. That's a really, really fun book. I'm pretty sure the whole thing is in the Marvel Unlimited app. If you've never read it, it holds up really nicely. They managed to kind of capture the flavor of the old books Without it feeling super old-fashioned?
0: I could look at Pat Olive's Spider-Man all day. He's like the one artist I feel like never got the fair shake on doing amazing.
1: He's really, really good. And he does kind of capture the flavor of of the Ditko style, but without it being kind of slavishly devoted to it, it's his own. It's still it's his own thing. It's very recognizable of as his work. If you know his work, I don't know if there's there's trade paperbacks of it. And if there are, I don't know if it's as cheap as it should be based on the fact that the original issues were only 99 cents. But I know they're on the Unlimited app because I I read a bunch of them again when I was doing the book. And yeah, I I still I still love that uh, that series a lot.
0: There's a giant out-of-print hardcover of it that you can get. We gave it away as a prize a couple years ago on the show. It'll cost you more than a buck an issue for sure.
1: Oh, that's too bad. Do you have a third one you want to champion? Sure, yeah. One more that I guess I I would single out as a run that I didn't actually know all that well before I did the book. And then doing the book and reading the issues again and reading some of the issues for the first time. I really appreciated them. You know, because there are these eras that become very famous, like, you know, all the stuff by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and John Romita and and Conway and Andrew. And, you know, there's so many eras that are like, you know, very famous. One that no one, I don't think anyone ever told me, oh, you have to read the Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Spider-Man. I was
0: so hoping you were going to say that.
1: You have to read those books. They're so great. No one, I don't think anyone in my life ever once said that to me. And so when I read those books for the for the for this book, for writing my book, you know, I read them mostly, you know, to be completist and also because there's a lot of important stuff in terms of, you know, the, the black costume and the alien costume and venom and that that chapter of the book is very venom focused. And so I wanted to, you know, read those books again. And what I found was separate from the costume, which is in there and is important, like those are really good Spider-Man comics, very like classical in, in terms of Peter is kind of down on his luck and he's got all this stuff going on and, you know, between dropping out of school and, you know, it comes right after the Roger Stern run, which is so famous. And I did have people tell me, well, you have to read Roger Stern, Spider-Man. And those, those are fantastic. They're wonderful. And I actually had, you know, just growing up, like I would I I had collected all the original issues of that, you know, finding them in in dollar bins and going to conventions and stuff back before there wasn't Marvel Unlimited app to to read them all on. That's, you know, that's how old I am. There weren't really even trade paperbacks of most of those books at that time. But no one, yeah, I never really went back and and had most of these um, DeFalco and Friends issues. I had, I think I probably had, you know, the their first issue, which is I think two two 252, I think. The one that's, you know, like introducing the new Spider-Man, you know. I'm pretty sure I got that one at some point for a couple of bucks at a convention. But I don't think I had every issue. In fact, I know I didn't have every issue and I, I still don't. And so reading those, I was like, wow, this is like a kind of a great, unappreciated run of Spider-Man and, you know, that's, they're the ones who really deserve the credit for really kind of making Mary Jane, the character who she still kind of is today. They're the ones who kind of introduced that, you know, I think when I interviewed even Tom DeFalco about, about his work, I think he even almost, he might've called it this like a secret identity almost that she has her own secret identity that she was always depicted as, you know, kind of the, the, the party girl, the carefree one, you know, she was like the contrast to Gwen Stacy, who was more serious and, and the more serious student. And they are the ones who kind of gave her this really interesting backstory that, you know, kind of mirrors Peter's backstory and gives her kind of a secret identity the same way that he has one and that and and she reveals that she's always known he's Spider-Man. They're the ones who threw that in there.
0: You're speaking about the great issue Amazing Spider-Man 259, the All My Past Remembered? Yeah. You like these melodrama stories, should they like walking through the park
1: and I love yeah. it. I love it. You're right. I keep coming it's like I'm not even realizing it. I'm really those are like the ones that really get singled out for me. I I love that. I love that issue and I love that entire run. I think it's a I think it's a really really solid run. And again, like when you're talking about runs that don't get talked about, you know, because pretty much, you know, before, right before them gets talked about a lot, right after them gets talked a lot, a lot, but those, those issues, because I guess maybe because other than the Mary Jane stuff and other than the costume stuff, it's not like a lot of really momentous life events happen, but I just, I just think they, they have a really great Peter Parker. They have a great handle on the character. He's funny in those issues and Ron Friend's artwork is really wonderful. He's another underrated artist as well. So that's another run that I would definitely single out as worthy of, of a reread or a first read. If you haven't read those books, they're pretty great.
0: Well, Matt, I loved reading your book. I love following all your work online. So if our listeners at home want to buy your book and follow you online, how would they do so? The
1: book. Thank you. That's very kind. And I am I'm, I'm I definitely listened to some of this podcast as I was doing my research for the book. It was useful as well and, and just fun. It was just fun to uh, hear your interviews with um, some of these people. That was awesome, too. So thank you. The book is on sale online, you know, anywhere you could think to find it. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you can get it. You know, it's in previews like it's it has a previews code if you want to get it through your local comic book store. It's available that way. But I mean, you know, pretty much uh, any place online that sells books, you can find it. And if you just want to follow me online, my Twitter account is at Matt Singer. My day job is as the editor of a website called Screen Crush, where I'm mostly writing about movies. I try to sneak in the comics anywhere I can. So there's a lot of writing about superhero movies and comic book movies, certainly. It's mostly movies and TV over there. But definitely anytime I get to write about Spider-Man is a good day, which happens sometimes, which is nice or uh, some of the other Marvel or DC characters as well. But uh, yeah, that's it. Well, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was, oh, it's always fun to talk about Spider-Man. I could I could talk about Spider-Man forever. I happily would write another 10 books about Spider-Man. It just it just he's a character that never gets old. I mean, obviously, you you know you've doing this podcast for however many years However many hours upon hours, I mean, uh, you you get it, you understand, Don't you remind understand, me. like, Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, you understand better than most people do, and I'm sure everyone who's listening understands as well. So, yeah, he's just pretty much the best, the best fictional character, the most wonderful. I haven't, I mean, if there's a better one out there, that I I certainly haven't encountered him or her yet. So, yeah, it's just a pleasure to uh, to get to talk to you about him.
0: Well, Matt, we'll have to have you back for a regular episode of the show. I would love that. Anytime. Thank you again to Matt Singer for joining me to talk about his new book, Marvel's Spider-Man from amazing to spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. And thank you to you, the listener for joining us for this conversation. Please consider checking out Matt's book. I have placed a link to where to purchase the book in the episode's description for you to enjoy. Also for our Patreon subscribers, Be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast player this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 35. There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon than to join us for our exciting coverage of the Nick Spencer run. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic book, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork this season from Barry Kitson. Also, be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man Talkin' community. And a special thank you to Rick Coast, our amazing, spectacular, adjectiveless web-of editor who cut together this very episode. Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where we can find your work, and what you think about Matt's new book.
1: Thanks, Dan. This is Rick, and you can find my work at modernaudiodrama.com, where all of my shows are located, or you can also go to rickcoast.com to find some of my other projects. And the book that we're just discussing in this episode. While I was editing the episode, I was so impressed I went out and bought the book myself. It's beautifully done, full of amazing artwork, commentary, articles. I highly recommend it. And as of this recording, there's still plenty of time to go out and buy it for your favorite Spider-Man fan. And I would be remiss if I don't mention Mark's book as well. Both books would look great under the Christmas tree. Happy holidays. Thanks, Dan. Back to you.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Rick. If you want to follow me on social media, you can check out my Twitter account, at SupSpiderTalk. But I'd be remiss if I didn't issue a special recommendation from my friend and co-host, Mark Giannacchio. If you're looking for another book to pick up this holiday season, why not check out his book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. I've got a link to that book in the show notes. It's super cheap, helps Mark and the show out, and is stuffed full of a ton of Spider-Man knowledge that we bring to the show each week. It'd mean a ton to us if you check it out. But mostly, I want you all to remember that with great podcasts, there must also come... The all new amazing Spider-Talk.